Christian Rob McGregor welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob McGregor. And Trish McGregor. And our tech magician, John Posey. You can go to themysticalunderground.com where we make regular posts and where you can find out about our books. Our most recent nonfiction book is Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities. Trish's latest novel is Skin Shifters. And Rob's latest novel is Tulpas. Um, Amelia... Ian Karras, author of Synchronicity, Unlock Your Divine Destiny, mentors truth seekers and entrepreneurs to ground their unique gifts and find their calling. For the last 25 years, she's been a wayseer and business consultant, helping visionaries craft impactful business businesses and design artistic lifestyles in alignment with their revolutionary spirit. She offers online courses in self-mastery and excels in mentoring those who've had spiritual awakenings and are ready to ground their expanded worldview and unique abilities into their business or special project. On her podcast, Love, Sex, and the Hidden Agenda, Amelia and Satya Ra explore love and the misuse of power on the planet in, uh, in the hope of shedding light on the sticky energy. Welcome, Amelia. I've really been looking forward to this. Me too. It's so great to be here with you both. Thanks for having me. Nigel is here. He's he's trying to welcome you. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Nigel. Uh, Nigel okay. So, Amalia, you, uh, you've overcome a lot of things, like the fire that destroyed your home. Tell us about that. Uh, how did you claim out of that such a, such a devastating uh, experience? Yeah. Yeah, I've had a lot of big uh, life wax <laughs> or course corrections I call them but um yeah when my house burned down it was interesting you know right before it burned down I was um having this kind of internal crisis of not wanting to be in the city I had been living remotely um for 10 years prior to to moving into the city I was living um like in San Francisco Bay Area and so when the house burned down, just right before it, I was thinking, um, I can't do this. I need to go to the woods, but I don't know oh. how. I don't know how I'm going to make money. <laughs> um, and so then, like, we did this ritual with a group that I was um, I was graduating, a, a small group of students that were working with me. And we had our, our evening ritual, our, our final ritual for the, for the workshop. And... I said, you know, remove anything that's in my way of like my higher calling. And then the next day my house burned down. Oh so my God. <laughs> then I was like, okay, well, I needed to go to the woods and now I can't even afford to rebuild my life because I, I lost everything, like Jeez. even the clothes um, I was wearing. So yeah, it was weird. My phone, my computer, all my life's work, Awful. like just gone in an instant. Um. But I... You know, the whole moment while the house was burning, the only thing that I had was this shirt I had put on. And there was so much meaning. And if you get my book, you can read more into the story. But it was like all these messages. Every time I felt, you know, sad or depressed or kind of, you know, hit upside the head, like, what, what why me? Why is this happening? Right. I get this message of of guidance like well I'm being guided to the place that I didn't know how to get to on my own you know I didn't really know how to make that move back to nature mm. because I needed to be around people and make money and right next thing I know you know after the fire my friends offered me a cabin in in the woods to write the book synchronicity and it was just such a beautiful unfolding of letting the universe carry me where I needed to go because I think so much of the time like my mind gets in the way like for all of us I'm sure you know it's 
I, I have this idea, this goal, this vision for my life, and then I don't know how to make uh -huh. it happen. Um, and then spirit just kind of delivers things to me and in this really mystical, magical way that I'm not expecting. And often through some pain because oh. I'm not ready to let go of things. And there I was, like, delivered. So how I got through it was just, you know, trust, prayer, surrender. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How, how did you the fire? Yeah, that's the thing yeah. I was going to ask, too. What was the source of the fire? Uh, we don't know. It, we, there, it was a big mystery. Um, the, mm. I, think, I, I think it was an electrical, um, it was an older home that had a, a different kind of electrical wiring in it. And they... Our house was undergoing some renovations, um, and the foundation was being retrograded. And I think, I think it was something to do with that. But um, uh. the conclusion of the investigators um, the, was that they don't know. They, some people uh. thought it was arson. I mean, it was just really confusing. There were six of us living there hmm. uh, in a triplex. Um, so, it, but it how I found out the house was on fire. Everybody was asleep and it just like sounded like a big explosion or gunfire hmm. or crackers or something happening. And I look out the window and you know, there's flames bursting out the oh downstairs God. window and oh. everybody upstairs is asleep. And it was, it was Jeez. pretty uh, jarring. Yeah. It was really jarring. So the fire actually prompted you to write your book on synchronicity. Yes. Say, uh -huh. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, have you been experiencing synchronicities uh, for a long time in your life, back to childhood, or do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since childhood, um, I've I've had a, a pretty rough uh, life story. If you know, I don't want to get into all the details of it, but synchronicity was like how I navigated a lot of difficult life passages um, hmm. because I didn't really have guidance. I didn't have parental um, support. And I had a, a faith in God. I was raised in a religious conditioning, so I prayed. And whenever mm -hmm. I would pray, my prayers were answered through synchronistic encounters. And so I just hmm. trusted that and followed it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Uh, in my my whole life, I've had a ton of synchronicity, and I just always, you know, it was that special connection to God or to the unseen, to the to the mystical, to the magical, to the mm -hmm. to the feeling that um, I don't know, kind of gave me the wings to move through really difficult situations. So, hmm. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so in your book, you. Uh, divided into seven keys. Uh, can you tell us about these keys? How did you come up uh, come up uh, with this idea, this concept? But there's sort of an interesting parallel there. We did a book called Seven Secrets of Synchronicity, and here you've I got your keys, seven that. keys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was noticing, you know, after I wrote my book, I, um, I didn't do any research on other authors while I was writing because I was in the woods with no internet and <laughs> I was just writing. Um, and when I published... Many people were like, oh, there's this book, that book, and have you heard of me? And I said, oh, my gosh, so many of us had the same, the same, um, you know, meme download or whatever. Right. Yeah. So interesting. yeah. I just ordered your book, actually. I can't wait to read it. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, The Seven Keys, uh, you know, it came to me actually through a lot of anger towards uh, a guy I was dating. Um, he was a... He's a he's a very intellectual guy and and very mystical and has a lot of talents. But I was so frustrated with how he was running his energy and um and I was I was kind of upset with a lot of people. You know, for me, I've had a lot of um, hard wax, and so I lose faith in humanity at times. <laughs> and then through that deep grief and deep despair, I. I realized that I had something to teach or share with people to be, to not feel that, you know, that's uh -huh. kind of how I transformed my grief, I guess, hmm. was to share like, okay, I'm really angry about this. Well, instead of me just like 
festering in my anger, licking my wounds, why don't I try to describe my vision of the world or what uh-huh. I think, um, you know, people need to know. And when I sat down to actually do that, yeah, these seven keys came through. Um, and it's basically, I mean, they're very simple keys, but I feel like if, if everybody were to do these seven keys or understand these seven keys, then I think we would live in a more um, harmonic experience. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd, we'd be more peaceful within ourselves and maybe treat each other better. <laughs> we hope. And have more safety. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. You've also lived in Japan. Uh, was that uh, earlier, b- before the fire? Uh, yeah. Uh, what was that? What was that like? Yeah, I've I've lived in um, six different countries actually Jeez. for a big part of my life. Um, so I was in Japan for five years. I was working there. We had a business there. Uh, me and my ex partner. Um, but Japan was really mystical. I think. Um, Japan awakened me to a lot of the mystic arts. My first spiritual teacher was there. I learned how to meditate um, there with them. And what I loved about the Japanese was how much they honor uh, the mystic arts because I've always had these um, abilities or, you know, psychic sense. Mm -hmm. And in the West where I grew up, my mother is a fundamentalist Christian, and Uh-oh. I was shunned from the church. Yeah, I, I was kicked out and um, marked as a troublemaker just because of my vision and my abilities. Yeah. I can't tell and, you how many psychic people I've spoken to who have had the same type of experience as you. You know, being raised in a fundamentalist household, sort of being spurned. <laughs> Mm. What kind of experience did you have that uh, turned off the uh, religious people? Um, it was <laughs> ironic. It happened to me. So one of my best friends, uh, childhood friends, we were kind of inseparable besties since um, preschool. You know, we were raised in this Christian cult thing together. And when we were, I was 14 and she was 13 and she got caught having sex. And uh-huh. I was a virgin and very, um, like, shocked. I didn't even know she was doing that. I mean, she taught me everything, but she was, a, you know, and her father, basically, they blamed me. But I was, a, <laughs> oh, God. I, got, I got slut-shamed as a virgin, um, <laughs> having never kissed a boy, and then shunned by the whole church. And it ended up being this, it was very devastating, obviously, because they were the only people I knew. I had... You know, I went to born again Christian school, oh, and all of that, mm. um, and we weren't allowed to interact with people outside the church. But then suddenly oh, at wow. fourteen, I was um, discommunicated, but not not formally. I was just shunned. So every time I went to church, everybody turned their back. They oh, they God. treated me like I was, um, yeah, like like demonic or something like I wasn't allowed to hang out with anybody uh, and it all based on a lie Hmm. so I I dealt with that for about a year year and a half because I didn't know what else to do until I really got in myself like I'm not putting up with this anymore like nobody's believing me and I'm not gonna you know, mm-hmm. I, I, how am I supposed to prove this? But I just left. And that was when, you know, the world opened and I started to see through all of the lies. And was this like a religious community that you yeah. lived in? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It uh-huh. wasn't it wasn't a community. It was uh, I mean, we were in a city and we all went to this church, but I was born and raised in that community. So we went there like four or five times a week. And then my schooling, I was schooled by um, them as well. So I I (laughs) I was completely brainwashed in their fundamentalist beliefs until 14. And then I could finally leave. And then I started to see what the rest of the world was like and how people who didn't have that conditioning thought. And it was, it was mind boggling. It really, Uh, um, it was like, where did you go? Um, where did I go afterwards? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you left, where where did you go? 
you were, if you're um, only I one went 15. To a, I went to a public high school, um, and and in public high school, I was, you know, I got to hang out and meet people who weren't Christian, right. you know, for, from all religious backgrounds and and non-believers, and different political thought, and that really started forming my own. Then I started asking myself, well, what do I believe? Because mm-hmm. already the church had disappointed me and I had left. So my mom was kind of scared because she didn't want me um, in the public world, you know, in the secular mm-hmm. world. But then when I turned 17, I left the country to get away from all of it. <laughs> mm. um, and I went to school in England and then I, um, I was able to develop my own thoughts from being, you know, removed from it. Mm. And then, and then my mother basically disowned me because I was no longer a believer in that faith. Um, so you haven't seen your parents since? No. Uh, well, yeah, I've seen them, but, um, they don't, she doesn't accept me. My father and her got divorced the same time I was shunned from the church. That was part of why I was shunned is because my parents were going through a divorce. Hmm. Um, and so my dad and I were very close as the people who were shunned. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and and my mom always believed me that she knew the truth of the story, um, which was her saving grace. Um, but as an adult, she just never understood my life choices and definitely not my career choices. Um, but mm. it's it, it's been an interesting um journey. My father passed away, uh, in 2003. And that was, that was when I really realized how, you know, kind of alone Uh I was in the world. Um, but in terms of family support and things like that, but yeah, it was, you you mentioned in your book, Amelia, uh, that you were, uh, creating uh, websites for people at a time when not many people had <laughs> websites at all. How did uh, you get into that and uh, how did that develop? Yeah, so in two, well, in 1994, um, so when I went to England, I had gone also to Israel for six months and I met a guy um, who we just had this incredible psychic and spiritual connection and uh, he ended up coming to the States with me, and we uh, were the only two people we knew who knew anything about computers. I had grown up in Silicon Valley, so I was raised, you know, around computers. My brother was a hacker, and <laughs> this guy had learned um, computer programming in the in the Israeli army. And hmm. so we just started... Um, playing with IRC and things like that. And he taught himself HTML. And I started having a lot of, um, well, I'd always had UFO and ET experiences, but they increased tremendously. And every morning at like 3.33 in the morning, I would wake up, stare out the window, get this information. They felt like downloads from this red star, which I guess is probably Jupiter. but it, this for six months, this would happen. And then I got all this information about technology. And we, we launched the first um, web design company in the world. And for, I don't know, for 10 years, we were known as, you know, experts in, in uh. websites, artificial intelligence, virtual reality. We were, you know, the, the pioneers of that whole hmm. um, era. That's fascinating. And that's how Japan, that's how I ended up in Japan also. Now, do you have UFO experiences in Japan? Many. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah, they're, they're, that's what I loved about the Japanese is they're not hiding um, contact like the U.S. Uh They are very, I, I was so fascinated. I would ask everyone I met, have you ever seen a UFO? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like us. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's surprising because people don't talk about it. But every time I asked them, I didn't meet anyone who said no, even oh, from from businessmen, uh, you know, very high end business people, corporate people to, um, you know, young kids. All of them had seen something or had some kind of experience they all believed. And um, it wasn't 
I think it was in uh, early 2000, I think the prime minister's wife came out and, and disclosed that she had been on board a, a triangle. I remember tri that. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now have you had an encounter? Yes, I have had many. Uh, yeah. That's why you talked to Preston. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we had a great conversation. Yeah, that's I'm great. So yeah, he's very knowledgeable. Yeah, Preston Dennett is an uh, expert on UFOs. We've had him on our show uh, yeah, a while back. It's yeah, that, that's how I learned about him, through your oh, show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, tell us about one of your encounters, if you do. I'm, I'm fascinated. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure where to start. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, which one do you want to hear? Think it's all powerful. <laughs> Are they positive experiences or negative? I mean, uh, have you been abducted and yeah, through the same uh, routines that other people have uh, talked about, being put on a table and examined and pro probed and inserted? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So I'll tell one um, story. I've, I've had, I do have some broken memory that um, is very traumatizing for me. So I haven't. I haven't done the deeper work of going um, mm -hmm. back and getting regressed to fill those gaps in because it has been quite traumatizing. But um, I, I've also, yeah, I, it's a long story. But one, I'll tell you the first time when I was 12 years old, um, it was interesting for me. I was with um, my sister, well, my family, we were camping in the Santa Cruz, uh, like, California, south of the San Francisco Bay Area, there's a big redwood forest. And mm -hmm. we were camping there for the week. And my sister and I were supposed to get back to the campsite, uh, you know, before dark. And we were playing in the, the clubhouse with other kids. And we didn't realize it had already, you know, the sun had set. And we needed to get, we, we came outside to get back to the campsite and we realized we couldn't see and we didn't have a flashlight and it was a new moon. So there was zero oh light. And my sister, who's four years older than me, she was terrified. She had a lot of uh, like terror in her system. Um, but she was holding me, it was just 12 years old and screaming like, how are we going to, we, we, we're, we can't get home. And I said, let's just pray, you know, because I we were indoctrinated. So <laughs> I, I said, let's pray. And I said, you know, God, please show us, um, give us a way to get home. We need to see the light. We need some light. And suddenly, I'm not kidding, a fireball, like, oh, went, like a meteor broke through the sky and oh. lit up the sky like daylight, full daylight. I mean, we could Jeez. see everything. So wow. suddenly we had enough light to run home. Meanwhile, we see a fireball going across the sky. And by the time we got to the campsite, it landed. We saw it land uh, not that far. And and it was like a, a mini, um, not an earthquake, but there was a shake. And mm -hmm. we were so excited and screaming the whole way we were running because it was so phenomenal. And uh, my parents were inside of a camper and they came out and they were like, you know, my mom was just yelling at us for being late. And, and um, when I woke up the next morning, I had this strange uh, bump in my spine and hmm. that went on for <laughs> that bump in my spine. I wouldn't tell anybody about it. I protected it. It, it sent me information, but later huh. in my um, found out it was an implant, and, and yeah, it was a kind of device that, that you still have like it? a partial. No, it was removed, hmm. um, and that's a whole other story of how I had it in the freezer, and it was you know stolen from my house, and jeez, oh, gunshot just passed me through, went through my front door, yeah. Yeah, wow. I have a lot of stories. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Because, you know, Whitley Strieber has an implant also. And when he, when they attempted to remove his, it moved. So he still yeah. got it. And he doesn't want yeah, to they, 
they yeah. moved. Um, my, a friend of my, one of a girlfriend I met uh, in my twenties, she also had one, and that's when both of ours got very activated, and we started to share stories, and and then we we literally cut hers out um, mm. with a knife. And oh, we're really freaked out when we saw what it was. It's like a grain of rice uh, with little, um, it's kind of like a clear fleshy substance with small wires inside, like, like yeah. nanite particles. Mm -hmm. um, and it had this electrical current that was running in our um, spine. And when we touched each other's uh, implant, we would get electric shock current run through yeah. our body. Um, so yeah, then the the story continues <laughs> on and on. But I, I I used to work with um, physicists. My the guy who taught me meditation was a a world class physicist in Japan, a Japanese man, and um, we had this underground network of physicists around the world, and we would share information. And many of the people in that network um, had you know, were whistleblowers from government projects huh. that were informing me. So it was, synchronicity has led me to meet some of the most incredible world-renowned people. Hmm. And little old me with my background wouldn't have had any way of thinking that I would, you know, have access to those kind of people or that they would be interested in me. But we had a lot of information to share and... Um, went on to work together. So in tech, I worked alongside of, um, yeah, some of the best engineers in the world. Hmm. Amelia, and you that talk all through, um, yeah, star yeah. downloads. <laughs> yeah. So you talk about everyone having a, a star seed. Can you talk about that concept? Yeah. Um, people use that term a lot these days to, to talk about, you know, people who think they're from other um, star systems. But when I use the word star seed, I'm, I'm talking about um, the, the spiritual uh, physiology that is within you. Like people talk about the chakra systems or your aura. Mm. We also have a star seed that's inside of our morphogenetic field. And when that, it's like a small sun in the center of our heart. And when we activate that and we learn how to use that muscle of turning it on and switching it on, we activate our sovereignty, our, our spiritual sovereignty. And yeah. we start to embody and ground our, our soul essence in our physical form. So we can, when we do that, we release the programming and all of the dark agendas and, um, you know, there's a lot of different parasitic and entity attachments, as you guys, I'm sure, are very mm -hmm. aware of. Um, but when we activate the the star seed, um, none of those entities can run any longer. Now, it's not so simple oh. to to. We have some interference. Yeah, I, I I didn't hear what you said. You said so when you activate the star seed and then you fade it out. Yeah, when we activate the star seed, those. Um, the older programs, the things that were that are not ours that have been inputted onto us, like programs mm -hmm. or um, entity attachments, any kind of interference, it gets um, dislodged because we oh. activate our own um, our own sovereign and en energetic field. Mm -hmm. So nothing that's not us, anything that is not us has to leave by nature of the star seed being activated. It's like somebody sitting in the cockpit. Um, mm -hmm. People don't realize that that our actual energetic form, um, we have to occupy it, otherwise uh, some other entity will. Hmm. And the star seed is how we, we exercise that muscle. So in my book, I talk a lot about how to, how to do that uh, mm -hmm. and to practice it. And it's important that we consistently do it because it's a muscle everybody has but until we do that um we can't anchor and we don't know the difference between us and uh, everybody else mm -hmm. you also write about the concept of the monad uh, uh, can you explain what that is 
Yeah. So that that was um, information that was that I received through through looking at these uh, and inter- interacting with these geometric forms of when I understood this starseed sovereignty concept. It, this is all come through deep meditative practices, um, and the monad is this uh, larger. Basically, each monad is a grouping of of souls. And if we look at um, a geometric pattern like the flower of life, um, that is what a monad looks like energetically. If we were to look at it from a, a fifth dimensional perspective, it's it's all of these sovereign um entities inner interlocking how we're interconnected Hmm. um so a monad is your your home group it's it's the people uh, the entities in which you belong so we have you know we're born into our our families our genetic family human families but we also have a spiritual family and a soul connection on another dimension and the monad um is what informs our it's where like the source of our soul wisdom huh. gets pulsated from. Is it, it like the oversoul? Um, yeah, it could be also called the oversoul. Yeah. Hmm. So is it? Uh, so all the people in the monad are they all physical or some non-physical no. ones? No. Yeah. No. No. They're not all physical. Um, it depends on which monad you're from. This is you know all the information I've received, and I'm sure it's lacking in my uh, human uh, translation of it, but not what I've understood, yes, and and you can um, belong to different monads, I've noticed, like in different dimensions, the monad groupings can shift. I, I've seen some switch, which has been very confusing, um, every time I think I've figured it out, I get new information, which makes it a bit more complicated, but I don't think my, my small human mind can really comprehend it. But what I've seen is um, that I belong to, like, my soul. When I, when I exercise my starseed, um, this, when I embody that and I see myself in that geometric shape, which I fully occupy... I see that I'm connected um, by 12 others. And then I see that we're connected to a a larger monadic group of 144. So 12 groups of 12. And then, yeah, and I I feel that if we're, what I'm trying to do with my book is um, give people the tool to exercise that star seed mm-hmm. structure, that sovereign structure, so that if 12 of us from the same uh, soul group were able to activate that at the same time, I feel that we flip a switch, that we huh. suddenly um, wake up to to our full spiritual mm-hmm. nature. Now, when you learned about this concept of uh, the monad, uh, were you in Japan at the time? Because uh, it sounds a lot like uh, Buddhism, Mm -hmm. uh, some aspects of Buddhism in the the oversoul. Oh, I I wasn't aware of that. No, I I wasn't. I was was in the mountains meditating alone, living remotely by myself with no internet. (laughs) With no internet. Was that Mount Shasta? No, it was... um, in a small town called Elk in the Mendocino Coast, but I was staying on 30 acres alone that was backed up by 90 miles of redwood forest. Jeez. Yeah. And I was there for nine months just um, recalibrating myself. And I, yeah, I was able to see. there. Actually, when I, when I saw my sovereign nature, I was in Japan. I was in Mount Fuji alone. Um, my teacher had left the house um, to me. To I was um, house sitting, cat sitting for them while they were touring, and I got to stay in their beautiful home that faces Mount Fuji. And hmm. that was like in um, what was that, two thousand five or something? Hmm. That I I received the um, the first uh, sovereign structure. So I uh-huh. guess yeah. 
and being that my teacher um, was Japanese, it could very well be, you know, through him. Mm -hmm. But it was it was more from from the soul, direct soul transmission. This uh, you also towards the end of the book, I think it was talk about remaining still for three days. I I don't think I could do that. <laughs> yeah, I know I couldn't either unless I was mummified in a sense. Yeah, I'm, really. I mean, so what? Yeah. Tell us all about that. That the kind of information you received. Yeah, the vision. The vision. Yeah. Yeah, well, it happened, it actually physically happened to me a couple of times where I couldn't move. Um, like something was holding me uh, in the bed, mm. like a presence uh, uh-huh. kept me from moving. And then, um, yeah, it happened a number of times over a series of, um, I guess it was over a 10-year span. It probably happened three different times. Mm. And um, it happened to me on my own, and I received all this information from the other side about what was happening and how I needed to lay still and not move until I, um, you know, was told it was okay to move. It was very surreal. Um, And then I was on a vision quest, and I was, um, you know, without food and and water Mm -hmm. for five days, and it happened there where, I mean, but that was part of the vision quest, so... It didn't seem that strange. But then this Native American woman um, came to, to talk to a group of us, and then she had the same information in a different way. You know when people bring these pieces mm-hmm. to the puzzle? Um, but she was saying that, um, yeah, that this time would come where we would we would need to learn to be still, this time of the second sun. Um, and I was calling it a second moon because that's kind of how I saw it uh-huh. was like a, it wasn't like a bright shining sun in the sky it was more like we had an, a planet another planet mm-hmm. um, was on the horizon um, but she said it was uh, yeah so the prophecy that she told me was a native prophecy I'm not sure which tribe I think she was from the Sioux people but she said um that during this time of the second sun, uh, we would go through a period of darkness, like perhaps the poles would shift, um, Mm. but we would have three days without any sun and that we were to remain still and stay in the house um, and not do anything. Like, don't try to go outside, keep your doors and windows closed, like Mm. just lay there and people who are on the surface or who are outside will go crazy and mad um, and start fighting. Um, but when when the second sun rises on the third day, uh, we will be walking into a new reality. Huh. And, and that struck me so strongly when she said it like that because it kept happening to me in my in my own way. So I had um, had this really weird kind of shamanic death um, at one in one instance. And then three days later, I was able to escape that. that I, I when I woke up from that three day um, kind hmm. of coma state, I was in I had a new reality. My eyes were forever changed and it happened again after my vision quest which is expected after a vision quest uh-huh, like yeah. very altered and changed after that um and and since then it's happened a number of times where you know something suddenly whether it's a tragedy like a house fire or uh-huh. i think many people are experiencing it even with covid or death of a loved one um i don't know if it's symbolic like each one of us is going to have our own you know, three day mm-hmm. coma <laughs> experience and then need to come out and, and have new eyes. But, uh, or if it's really going to happen like a pole shift type of um, collective experience. But I, I was really pushed to add that in the book, even though I don't mm. like being called a, a prophet or um, I, I'm not trying to prophesize or something. Right. I get a lot of visions, but I feel uncomfortable sharing them because I don't know if this message is, you know, for me, but that Mm. specifically was, um, no, you need to 
to share this and a lot of other people are um, getting similar information. So I, I share that information as like, maybe it's a piece to someone else's puzzle. Right. But well, isn't this somewhat parallel to what you were taught as a child uh, in the Christian fundamentalists about this ascension where we rise up uh, a certain number of people, 144,000 people would rise up and- Yeah, you know, in the Christian, in my Christian faith, we weren't taught that, but um, yeah. one my co-pod, um, podcast co-host, Satya, she was raised um, in a Jehovah Witness kind of cult, okay. and they were yeah. taught the 144,000, <laughs> and I didn't know that. Um, I received that information through meditation Mm-hmm. So I, I hadn't been reading, or, and since I was um, 14, I have um, read the Bible or been, you know, studying. As an adult, I didn't study the Christian faith. I kind of just ran away from it and studied every other religion I could, <laughs> or, you know, it's just seeking truth, mostly occult wisdom. Um, but, yeah, it, it's interesting. I see it in a lot of... Um, different sort of prophetic religions and, and faith-based. Um, yeah, some parallels. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of parallels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did this uh, Native American woman give you specifics? I mean, did she give you a date? <laughs> well, <laughs> like, okay, she, on... yeah, she came to us, I think that conversation must have been in 2005, I guess, uh-huh. when we talked. No, I mean, I think a lot of people thought it was going to be the 2012 switch. I mean, I did. Mm-hmm. I definitely was thinking around 2012, like the end of the Mayan calendar. Right. I was really into um, Jose Arguelles was a friend of mine and a contributor to a magazine I used to publish. So we, I was very much following that. Um, but I feel like it's more what what I've learned over and over from all the these kind of, I don't know what, uh, prophecies, visions, things like that, is that, as we know, they're they're not exactly, um, (laughs) we can't pin them down, right? It's Uh not like, this is going to happen on this state. And I think a lot of it is internal uh, evolution. Mm -hmm. uh, And your, the way you describe it is a little different from the, the fundamentalist Christian because uh, belief where they, they kind of all rise up to heaven, but you're talking about a new earth, exactly. Uh, yeah, so it's so the, no the survivors and, and, the, and there's actually a new earth that's created like in another dimension. Is it- yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's not, it could be a parallel earth, but what I'm seeing is it's already here. Um, many of us are already living in it. I feel I've been straddling these two realities for a long time. Like I've got a hmm. foot in both worlds. Um, and I think it's really just a shift in consciousness, like an upgraded, um, it's like an upgraded ability of understanding where your consciousness resides. Uh-huh. So when the more we embody our soul wisdom, our, we, we exercise our star seed, um, nature and we can hold it and turn it on uh, and keep it keep ourselves grounded and sovereign without the other entity attachments and programs running we actually wake up to that reality and it's right here there there's no right. going somewhere else it's almost like um i mean you might you might have experienced it with like you know, during COVID, you could be like in a bliss bubble, having a great day and have no idea what's going on in uh-huh. the rest of the world. But like in your reality, everything is so beautiful and synchronistic mm-hmm. and and flowing. And then you watch the news and suddenly your whole vibration and everything shifts. Is, um, yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's more akin to that than actually like being transported mm-hmm. to a different uh, location, because when we're in that frequency, we already access, you know, all soul wisdom. Like we can communicate with all of our deceased loved ones and mm-hmm. all the other uh, incredible beings of light and uh, sentience that that exist. Um, intergalactic sentience is right 
here amongst us. We're not needing to like be transported to another right. gallery. Yeah. Right. Hmm. So uh, back to synchronicity. What do you think is the source of synchronicity? Where does it come from? How do how do these things happen? That's an awesome question. I, <laughs> I yeah, that's, that's like, what's the universe? <laughs> I know, but I love, I love it because I, I think that's like what we all need to be asking. But for for me, synchronicity is the actual uh, time code. It's like the frequency band. So you know, we live off the Gregorian clock system, which we realize is faulty, especially with daylight savings and all yeah, that. Right. <laughs> and. And if we run by the the actual clock and the calendar, um, we have one experience of life. But when we switch into living in flow and synchronicity mm -hmm. and soul code timing, we are actually more uh, in sync with our body, with our soul, with each other. Uh, we experience life very differently when we're in that um synchronistic time band and then everything syncs up so when we do see mm -hmm. numbers and things like all of a sudden everything just feels like um it's connected yeah we're in this connected beautiful tapestry and we feel more safe and held and in flow like we're we're not i don't know when i'm in when i'm in a synchronicity kind of i don't know how to call it, like when i'm surfing synchronicity at a really high <laughs> um, like a, a tsunami of synchronicity, I feel um, so, uh, I don't know, like omnipresent mm -hmm. and, and, and free and so safe. Like I don't have any fears because I can see through the illusions of, of fear and, and suffering and despair. And I'm kind of just being held by this. Right. Um, the beauty and the awe of the cosmos and like what we, what we are, the stardust and all of that. And so then it just becomes this fun experience of life rather than this, um, you know, oh God, when's the next, you know, yeah. slap across the face and suffering going to begin. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think it's like a time frequency and that's why I wrote the book uh, and called it Synchronicity because I think that's the key um, for everyone, regardless of religion, regardless right. of faith, um, I think synchronicity is basically a state of flow and timing. And when we when we sync up with it, we just have a better experience of life. Mm -hmm. how, how did you meet Bernie, Matt Bernard Bateman? Oh yeah, he found my book, and then he brought me on his podcast, and uh -huh. you know, we just kind of. Uh, it, you know, we come from such different um, backgrounds. He's super academic. I'm totally right. uh, unschooled. And <laughs> and so we, but we had so many things in common, especially obviously synchronicity. Right. Um, and we're both dancers. So we realized that, oh, you know, that's dance, fascinating. <laughs> mm -hmm, dance is like this incredible connection. And so we had some great conversations and then, mm. yeah, that's how it started. Yeah. Yeah, he I, he. Uh, I feel like his coincidence project is something really unusual, and it's and it's necessary. Yes, you know, because a lot of times you don't have you have synchronicities and you don't know who to talk to about it. Yeah, exactly. People think they're going crazy, or some uh -huh. people would think the other person's crazy if they right. do sharing too much. I'm sure if I shared all my synchronicities, I would just overwhelm everyone and <laughs> they would run. Yeah. I just, I, I, I'm not used to sharing it. It's interesting when he, you know, he brings all these synchronicity experts together like us and, um, yeah. <laughs> to start sharing. And I'm like, uh, is it safe? Uh, <laughs> yeah. He just lays it all out. Like we were in this uh, synchronicity cafe yesterday and he starts talking about his, uh, earlier life uh, in San Francisco San Francisco and living in Haight-Ashbury and taking acid and <laughs> but Bernie we didn't know <laughs> oh I would have I'm so sorry I missed yesterday I couldn't be there yeah <laughs> good stories about this yeah, crazy George who took sing, uh, acid Arthur, three, Arthur, 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 Arthur Arthur crazy <laughs> Arthur took acid three times a day and <laughs> yeah got called up by a uh, in court and uh, Bernie was asked to be a, a witness or something for him, and uh, 
uh, Crazy Arthur tells the judge, I respect you and I respect porpoises. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, it was uh, interesting to <laughs> chat with uh, Bernie. <laughs> no, he's lovely. I'm so glad he's connected us and, and all of too. us in this realm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Uh, it's important. Yeah, so one of the things you talk about in your book is balancing the light and the dark in our lives. Uh, why is that important and not just to shun the dark stuff and ignore it? Yeah, you know, I get so disturbed in the spiritual communities with the whole, whole rainbows and unicorn um, <laughs> concepts because my life has been um, more battling demons. You know, that's... I, I got uh, awakened to my psychic abilities through black magic and uh -huh. um, a lot of darkness. And and so when I see people either playing with a cult and witchcraft things with this, like, I don't know, flippant way and not really understanding what they're conjuring and, and calling up or I see people, you know, it's become very fashionable to wear all these kind of Illuminati symbols and stuff mm -hmm. and people don't. They don't believe, they don't realize that evil's real. <laughs> it's very real. And we live in a dualistic um, universe where where these uh, this battle's been going on. It's going on within each one of us. And we can't just suddenly um, forget about the darkness and, pre and pretend we're only light and, and start pointing fingers at everyone else and not looking at ourselves or just be in the darkness and not see the the light like until we kind of decide within ourselves um i don't know find that balance point for me it's all about balance it i don't think balance is something we arrive at i think it's a moment to moment uh, choice by uh -huh. choice uh, experience like a balancing act like riding a bike and mm -hmm. um we need to keep a healthy balance in check uh, I, I've I've swung on my pendulum quite, uh, you know, from one extreme to the other, like being raised in this fundamentalist home and being all into, you know, God and then getting into the occult and the darker <laughs> mysteries and realizing that, you know, uh, you know, I was raised in San Francisco. My childhood best friend was the girlfriend of Anton LaVey, who mm. was the head of the Satanic Church. Um, Interesting. So I was raised uh, very close to the satanic, uh, all the darkness that was happening uh -huh. around that and continues to happen. Um, so I have a lot of stories around that. But I saw that, um, you know, I, I went to a point in my 20s where I thought I was just invincible and like, you know, I didn't really believe in the devil. And I kind of laughed at all this until I, I realized, you know, what I was uh, interacting with. And so I had to dive into my darkness. I had to go into the depths of my shadow mm -hmm. to kind of realize that, you know, it wasn't very challenging. Like the light was more challenging. And I, I just find that people, I don't know, they get one sided or they get gung ho about the next self development thing or the next, right. you know, and, and they're not really keeping a, a check on themselves. And I really think we all just need to do do our own work right now. You know, um, you, mm -hmm. you just reminded me of something. Um, there's the guy who hosts a podcast called Skeptico just wrote a book called Why Evil Matters. I'm going to put you in touch with him because I think you two, you two would really click. Oh, yeah. I'd love to hear more. Yeah, what he's, his, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and, and he'd be, yeah, he's, he's an interesting guy. But he also, I think, you know, now that you mentioned this thing about evil and the darkness and all this, it just, I, I think it's, it would be a fascinating conversation for you, too. But on the other side, you also write about uh, we need to create a new society based on love, joy, connection, compassion, and synchronicity. How do we do that? <laughs> That's another big question for you, man. Yeah. It's like we're, we're so divided as you know a society now where there's millions of people walking around with uh, false beliefs and fear-based conspiracies on their minds every day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel that, um, you know, one of the reasons I, I wrote the book or have uh, 
been teaching this for so long is because self-governance is key. Like I, I was working for 11 years building eco communities and intentional communities and really focusing on group governance and how do we have like a democracy. And I realized it's really, really, really hard. Like I had this utopian vision that why can't we all just get along? And <laughs> I was so, yeah, that was all my twenties and thirties. And then I was like hit in the head with this shock of, of how we don't have any ability to get along. We have all these programs, um, thousands of years of programs uh, mm-hmm. and conditioning to keep us at war with each other because we're at war with ourselves. And until we find that internal um, peace and acceptance within ourselves, we can't even experience a, a harmonic relationship with one other, let alone a community. <laughs> uh, so mm. I think that, that that work really starts. So if we want to see, you know, people are always fighting for peace. I think that's really funny to me. Or, <laughs> I do too, yeah. It, it's just funny. It's ironic. It's like, don't you see what you're doing? Like, just fighting sit home. Peace. And and at the same time, I'm not saying, like, sit home, meditate, and never be in action and never go out and, you know, fight for your rights and your free will and all of that. But But there's a balance. And I think we're missing the balance that everybody would rather blame and, and we get busy right. and we get distorted. So if we want harmony in our world, we have to be harmonic. If we want love in our life, if we have to know what love feels like, we need to know what love is. We need to, you know, identify all those things first within ourselves um, before trying to, you know, demand it on right. others or expect it right. from someone else. So it starts from within, basically. Basically. Yeah. That's why knowtheself.com. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now tell people how they can find your book, book yeah. and find your website and your classes. Oh, that was I a shameless That's plug. Good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you. So, yeah, you can find me at knowtheself.com. It's it's knowtheself, T-H-E-S-E-L-F, you yeah. know, knowtheself. Um yeah, and I, I have online courses. I, I have a three-month course that takes my book into super deep depths and activations to help people really activate their sovereign nature mm-hmm. and learn how to self-govern. Um, and I do one-to-one mentoring with people who are ready to um, you know, develop their, their sole purpose into a project or a business and really live that out in the world. So I love, I love working with people who want to be in action and really embody what they're here to bring forth. And you do this all from Mexico. Yeah, online. And I do mm-hmm. retreats. Actually, I have an upcoming retreat um, here on an island, beautiful island with no oh, wow. cars, white sand beaches, if you guys want to come. Uh, oh, this sounds good. Where, where is this now? Uh, La Playa? In July. It's um, right off the coast of uh, the Yucatan Peninsula. It's a small island where you take a ferry and they just have like golf carts to move around, but we're going to be there for five days and I'm going to be teaching some embodiment practices and group discussions in the morning and evening. Um, but there'll be snorkeling with whale sharks and bioluminescence and Mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun, but it would be great to have you guys if you want to come for a holiday. I'm so ready to go somewhere. (laughs) I think everyone is. That's why I decided to do it. I said, my gosh, everybody's so trapped feeling. Yeah. But it's beautiful here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you very uh, much. Amalia, this has just been great. And I'd love to have you on again to talk about your other work, your other books. Yes, I would love to to chat mm-hmm. more with you guys. It's been a great to get to know oh, you, Rob. Wonderful. Thank you. Okay. Okay. All about, Good yeah. talking to you. <laughs> yeah. All right, have a wonderful rest of your day. <laughs> Thank you, Trish. Thank you guys so much. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining the Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. 
Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. Mystical.